podcast i am gabriel chavez and i am paul stendel today we ejaculate into the primordial ooze and spawn <laughs> a true affront to god but first this is a comedy podcast if you have not seen the movie we're about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers stop now but if you don't care about spoilers and want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad grab that serum it's the only thing that will keep us from regressing without further ado let's hand it over to pablo francisco <clears throat> After being rescued and brought to an island, a man discovers that its inhabitants are experimental animals being turned into strange-looking humans. All of it the work of a visionary doctor. That's not the worst fucking synopsis of this movie. I, I think it's actually decent. Pretty much sums it, sums it out right there. Yeah, I mean, considering how this turns out. You know, like, <laughs> you, know you think in the logline they would have mentioned that it was like based on the classic book by H.G. Wells or whatever, you know, but it, it doesn't matter, I guess. This movie is our first movie from New Line Cinema in association with Edward R. Pressman Productions. New Line Cinema is perhaps most well-known for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, an altogether brilliant and different fantasy film than this fucking abomination. And I'll go on record as saying I think that the Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy ever made. Fuck you, small town murder, for talking shit about these movies, but I love you guys anyway. They kind of went bankrupt in 2008, largely due to the Daniel Craig, Nicole Kidman vehicle known as the Golden Compass, which New Line spent a reported $180 million in development, and it only grossed $70 million in box office receipts. They were bought out along with their art house wing called Picture House in 2008 by Time Warner and merged into Warner Brothers and sort of relaunched in 2012 with the distribution of Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy. I say sort of because New Line's name only appears on it in certain territories, otherwise it's MGM, which was another bankrupt fucking company, <laughs> right. I think is really interesting, but whatever. They have produced over 983 movies over the years, with a current 130 projects announced in different stages of development. Recently, we saw them on Andy Muschietti's It Duology, The Conjuring Duology, The Babysitter with Netflix, as well as Game Night with My Second Wife. Rachel McAdams. Their most exemplary work, as I've stated before, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which was nominated for a stunning 30 Oscars and won a total of 17 Oscars, 11 of which going to Return of the King, only the third movie in Academy history to do so, the others being Ben-Hur and Titanic. Side note, fuck you, James Cameron. Another side note, I just want to contextualize that The Return of the King literally won every Oscar it was nominated for. Ben-Hur lost one, its adapted screenplay Oscar that it was nominated for to the movie Room at the Top, and Titanic lost three Oscars, Best Actress for Kate Winslet to Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, Best Supporting Actress Gloria Stewart lost to Kim Basinger in L.A. Confidential, and Best Makeup for Greg Cannon lost to fucking Men in Black for Rick Baker's awesome work. <laughs> I'm not going to talk a lot of shit about that, honestly, because, like, Men in Black, as much as it's not, like... I mean, it's a good movie, and I enjoy it, and I own it, and everything like that, 
But Rick Baker's alien effects in that movie are totally, totally fucking dope, and he deserved an Oscar, dude. Like, yeah, so no, the tiny little alien guy in the chest. That's oh, so uh, good, man. It's so good. I love every fucking alien in that movie. It's like imaginative and fun. It's just classic, classic work. Does that mean Return of the King is the best picture of all time? I think it does. Fuck you, James Cameron. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> They also released David Fincher's incredibly disturbing Masterpiece 7, Tony Kaye's unforgettable and unforgiving American History X, which has a head-scratching 62 on Metacritic, but that's a whole nother situation, as well as P.T. Anderson's angriest movie, Magnolia, Lars von Trier's incredible Dancer in the Dark, P.T. Anderson's huge dong of a movie called Boogie Nights, True Romance, <laughs> Straight Outta Compton, Jim Jarmusch's brilliant Night on Earth, John Cameron Mitchell's wonderful debut, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, the brass bald Glengarry Glen Ross, Always Be Closing, the brutal and unforgettable Mike Lay movie, Vera Drake, and Alex Proyas's best movie, Dark City. However, they did give us the 10th worst movie of all time, known as Son of the Mask, the Whoopi Goldberg travesty called Theodore Rex. I don't know if you remember that fucking movie, dude. That was something to behold. Holy shit. Yeah, it was a bad one. They also did Lawnmower Man 2, which I didn't even know fucking existed. <laughs> Dumb and Dumberer When Harry Met Lloyd, the movie that didn't star either Jim Carrey or Jeff Daniels which is fucking awful, by the way. Dungeons and fucking dragons, Mortal Kombat, Annihilation, <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell, and of course, the fucking Snoop Dogg ghost flick called Bones, the detestable Will Smith movie Collateral Beauty, and Jason X, which is one of the all-time worst movies I've ever sat through. <laughs> Worse what? than Jason Goes to Space, or is that the same movie? No, 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 it's the same one. Jason X okay. is the same one Goes to Space. <laughs> We've had this conversation before, but I really do like a lot of the violence in that movie. Like when he freezes the girl's face in the liquid nitrogen and smashes it onto the counter. That's pretty dope. And then when he like goes into the alternate reality or time portal or whatever the fuck it is. And he like puts that girl in a tree in the fucking like sleeping bag and like lights the fire under her and you see the bag on fire. But I think my favorite death in that movie is when he takes one girl in a sleeping bag and beats another girl in a sleeping bag to death with it. <laughs> That's my favorite death in that movie. It's so fucking stupid. Uh, side note, while they did give us Critters 1, they also gave us the four other sequels, which are fucking awful. <laughs> Edward R. Pressman Productions is Edward R. Pressman's company, obviously, and he is one of the three producers to blame for this absolute clusterfuck of a movie. Pressman produced over 91 movies in his career, really kicking off in 1973 with Terrence Malick's debut film Badlands with Martin Sheen and Ceci Spacek. He also produced Wolfgang Peterson's masterpiece Das Boat, the Arnold-starring Oliver Stone-scripted action classic Conan the Barbarian, as well as its lackluster sequel The Destroyer, the Oliver Stone-directed classic Wall Street, Catherine Bigelow's underrated Blue Steel, David Mamet's entertaining movie called Homicide, Abel Ferreira's directed and one of the most fucked up movies ever made, Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, 
That movie really did fuck me up, and I've only seen yeah. it once. I can't bring myself to watch it yeah. a second time, quite honestly. It's just so fucked up. <laughs> You'd never want to watch that again. That's not something that you would like buy and watch again, I feel. <laughs> I mean, anybody out there that actually owns it, please prove me wrong on this. Why did you buy it, and why do you watch it more than once? Because him like sitting in the car and like asking that one prostitute to stand outside of his car and like open her mouth as he jacks off in the car... It's pretty fucking horrifying to watch. Not in a bad way, but in like in a in a fucking disturbing way. Oh, and then of course there's like the nun who like fucks herself with the crucifix, which is really fucking hard to watch too. Yeah. And but that was the whole nun rape scene or something yeah, like that. Bad. Yeah, oh, okay. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. They also they or he also produced the brilliant Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close vehicle reversal of fortune. The tragic Brandon Lee mood classic called The Crow. American Psycho, which is one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. The brilliantly acted The Cooler with William H. Macy and Maria Bello. The underwatched exploitation actioneer movie called The Hebrew Hammer with Andrew Goldberg. Seriously, fucking see this movie. It's fucking fantastic. The brilliantly acted Owning Mahoney with the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman. The wickedly smart comedy drama Thank You for Smoking with A.A. Ron Eckhart. And the bonkers Nicolas Cage starring semi-sequel Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. He's also been trying for years with varying degrees of success to remake The Crow, most recently with Jason Momoa. But after Momoa leaving the project last year, it's been in turnaround and I don't know what the fuck they're going to do now. I mean, Jason Momoa, dude, I mean, I, I don't want to like say that that would be a good choice, but if anybody was going to take over from Brandon Lee, I would say Jason Momoa is like spot on in order to play the crow. I would pick that guy. Yeah, he could do it, I think. I think yeah. he could do it. Why did he leave? Disagreements with the directors. <sighs> I mean, the director is like, I can't even remember who the director was. It was like some fucking music video director. It wasn't like a big director. Uh, some French guy who gives a fuck. But anyway, despite Edward Pressman's genre commanding filmography, he did produce three awful crow spinoffs. Cherry 2000 with Melanie Griffith. Martians go home with Randy fucking Quaid. Street Fighter with Jean-Claude. <laughs> Judge Dredd with Stallone. Legionnaire also with Jean-Claude, which is a fucking awful movie. Do you remember that? It like came out yeah. in like 94, I think. And it was like... I had just seen Gallipoli, right? So I was like obsessed with World War One type shit. And then I wandered across that and I was like, eh, Jean-Claude, why not? And I watched it and I was like, what the fuck is like, <laughs> so confused. He also did the underwhelming Michael Alec biopic Party Monster, the awful DMX movie Never Die Alone, and Fur, an imaginary portrait of Diane Arbus, a movie so infuriatingly pretentious and banal that I can't help but include it on this list of <laughs> shit movies. Claire Rudnick Polstein produced 17 movies in her career, beginning with Moreau. How the fuck do you get a job uh, after this legendarily <laughs> terrible production? I mean, it's one thing to be like that guy that we talked about that was the producer on Gigli and he moved past it. That was his first job was producing Gigli. But like Gigli, even though it's a bad movie, it was never known as being like a clusterfuck while it was filming. Like yeah. Dr. Moreau just has like this infamy behind it of how fucking bad things went when they were making <laughs> this fucking thing. And like, I don't know how you get a fucking job after that. But... I mean, maybe you look at him and you're like, all right, he wants to make a movie. 
it's probably not going to be as bad as Moreau. So, you know, all right. Sure, why not? <laughs> like, yeah. Literally impossible. Yeah, not? <laughs> literally <laughs> impossible to be as bad as that. Well, she did go on to do mostly lukewarm movies and a couple of good flicks. But she made a super splash surprise hit with Austin Powers directly after Moreau. So, you know, she <laughs> did make a fuck ton of money with that. She did Wag the Dog with Robert De Niro. Boiler Room with the always excellent Giovanni Ribisi and The Company Men from director John Wells. All good movies in their own right. She did also produce The Terrible Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser, which is fucking awful. 15 Minutes with De Niro and the always great Edward Burns. The heartstring-pulling manipulative garbage movie I Am Sam with Sean Penn going full retard in the words of Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. I was watching a... With Robert Downey Jr., I was watching him on like the Joe Rogan show, and they were talking about how <laughs> Tropic Thunder could never be made today. And I'm like, damn, it was only a few years ago, but I know, I know. yeah, no, <laughs> not the blackface. <laughs> not the blackface. It is yeah. so fucking shocking about that, dude. Is that they got away with it, and like it's more making fun of method actors than it is making fun of blackface. And I think that's sort of why it got well, away with it. Yeah, I mean, in in the instance of that movie, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She also produced the underwhelming by-the-numbers narc cop flick, A Man Apart, with Vin Diesel. The God Damn It Will You Nominate Us for an Oscar movie, August Osage County, which is really, really lukewarm. And Burnt, a movie with Bradley Cooper doing his best Gordon Ramsay impression that was inexplicably written by Eastern Promises and Peaky Blinders scribe Stephen Knight. I really don't know what the fuck that movie was, dude. It just kind of <laughs> came out of nowhere. And it's like a $30 million whatever movie with Bradley Cooper. And I saw it because I'm a huge fan of Stephen Knight. And I had just seen, I think it was right after Eastern Promises that, that movie came out. And I was just sitting there like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is this, man? Like, it's, there's nothing that even remotely resembles Stephen Knight's writing. But whatever. Side note, watch Taboo with Tom Hardy on FX. It's brilliant, and Stephen Knight fucking slays the writing of yet another Tom Hardy monosyllabic-led project. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> Tim Zinneman brings up the rear as our last producer. Moreau was his last movie in a list of 16. He probably left the film business because of Moreau, but I can only speculate. He did produce The Running Man with Arnold, so that's totally awesome. And he did the original Pet Cemetery. But other than that, his career isn't worth noting other than that he produced The Cowboys with John Wayne, a.k.a. the only movie John dies in a non-glorious and ignominious way. That is worth noting, actually. I I don't really (laughs) dig that movie, but I do like at the end of The Cowboys how he dies because it's like completely different than, you know, John Wayne at the end of Shane or, you know, John Wayne at the end of The Searchers or whatever. It's like it's just this like humiliating thing that he's in the dust and he's getting shot up and he's like bleeding to death. And he's like an animal almost at the end of that movie. He's just like, you know, squealing in pain and they're just killing him. And I'm like, it's pretty fucking bad actually. But anyway, (laughs) this movie stars the pain in the ass legend himself, Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, David Thewlis, Feruzia Balk, and Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman? Yeah, Ron Perlman's in it. You didn't Where? fucking know that, dude? Where's he in? Where's He's the he in sayer this? of the law, man. Uh, okay, all right. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I didn't notice with all the fucking goat 
makeup on him. Shit all over his face. <laughs> Wait, is he a chimp? I don't remember. No, dude. He's like, he's a goat man. I think you're right. Yeah. Or like a dog man, maybe. Whatever. But Marlon Brando needs no introduction. He won two Oscars for The Godfather and On the Waterfront, and he was nominated for six others. He was in 47 movies before he died, and he directed one movie in 1961, The Uneven Western One-Eyed Jacks. He was in Streetcar Named Desire, Mutiny on the Bounty, the contentious and historically problematic due to its rape scenes of actress Maria Schneider, Last Tango in Paris, Superman, where he plays classic bad guy Jor-El, Francis Ford Coppola's Vietnam masterpiece, Apocalypse Now, which showed the first signs of Brando pulling his I'm too good for this business bullshit, <laughs> and the problematic and hard to bear his performance called The Score with Robert De Niro. He was also in the terrible movies Free Money, Don Juan DiMarco, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, and The Formula with George C. Scott. Val Kilmer co-stars as Montgomery. Val also exhibited some extreme prima donna bullshit behavior on this movie. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> Val has been in 105 movies over the years. Among my favorites are his small role as the weed Sherpa in the problematic homophobic and sexist show Entourage, which he's fucking awesome in. Michael Mann's incredible crime masterpiece Heat. The Tony Scott-directed Quentin Tarantino-scripted classic True Romance. The brilliant, if undercooked, Western Tombstone. The action homoerotic classic Top Gun, the hilarious Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the underwatched Felon with Stephen Dorff, shout out New Mexico Film, the Ron Howard directed bizarre fantasy flick Willow, Oliver Stone's incredibly performed movie The Doors, the comedy classic Top Secret, the meth-fueled Salton Sea, Ed Harris's incredible debut movie Pollock, and the porn star biopic Wonderland, as well as Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans, the underwhelming but excellently atmospheric movie The Missing, shout out New Mexico Film again, and David Mamet's excellent exercise called Spartan. He's also done as many shit movies as Nick Cage, it seems, with Seven <laughs> Below, The Love Guru, Gun with 50 Cent, Hard Cash with Christian Slater, the Snowman with Michael Fassbender, Batman Forever with Tommy Lee Jones. This is his only Batman, by the way. Mastin Anonymous, the Bob Dylan starring comedy. Yes, that movie. If you have not seen it, that is actually something that would be a great, great option for this podcast because that movie is <laughs> fucking atrocious. McGruber, shout out begrudgingly, New Mexico film. <laughs> of war. Red Planet with Tom Sizemore, The Saint, Tenth and Wolf, Mindhunters, not to be confused with David Fincher's excellent Netflix show, which you should be fucking watching, and Oliver Stone's Alexander. A movie so fucking terrible, even though Paul and I saw it for free in theaters, I personally wanted to die after watching it. That was really bad, dude. And, like, Val Kilmer's fucking eye makeup as Philip in that movie is awful. You can see the prosthetic, like, stuck to his face. And I'm like, isn't this a $160 million movie? Like, how the fuck did this slip by? And they're just like, eh, it's fine. I'll just Nobody's going to notice that. Whatever. It don't matter. David Thewlis undoubtedly people will know from the Harry Potter movies as Professor Lupin, but he's also in the incredibly fucked up movie Naked by director Mike Lee, which I will never forget him in. See this movie if you have a strong stomach. 
I saw this as a double feature on IFC with Harmony Quran's movie Julian Donkey Boy, and I felt sick for a week after watching these fucking movies. He's in the excellent animated show for adults on Netflix called Big Mouth. If you aren't watching this, you're fucking up, and you fucking should be watching this TV show. I worked with him recently on Charlie Kaufman's bizarre and interesting Netflix movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and he was unbelievably personable and kind. I really should have gotten a fucking Dr. Moreau poster and had him sign it, quite honestly, because <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know why I didn't think about that, dude. Like, I was working on that movie, and I knew who David was. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, after the fact, I was like, fuck, man. I should have gotten him to sign something that he hates. <laughs> he plays Knox Harrington, a.k.a. the video artist that has a supremely annoying laugh and probably the funniest movie ever made called The Big Lebowski. You remember him in that movie? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, that's him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that fucking scene where he's just sitting there and he's, like, laughing to himself and the dude just keeps looking at him and he's like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> He's in the great British gangster flick Gangster Number no. 1 with Paul Bettany, Ridley Scott's underwhelming theatrical but excellent director's cut movie called Kingdom of Heaven. Seriously, see the fucking 190 minute director's cut. It's excellent. And those 46 minutes added make all the difference in making it a coherent movie. You remember when we saw that in theaters, Paul? And like yeah. you were just sitting there afterward and I was like, you know it's like it's uneven and whatever whatever the fuck when you see the 190 minute director's cut dude it's like legitimately a good movie and like by butchering it down to 144 minutes they really did fuck that movie up and it's too bad because the movie's a good movie anyway he's in terrence malick's brilliant and gorgeous the new world with colin farrell the boy in the striped pajamas the excellent oscar winning the theory of everything the hyper-stylized and atmospheric Macbeth with Michael Fassbender. Did you see that flick, dude, Macbeth? No, I don't recall. Oh, man, it's so good, dude. It's fucking weird. It's directed by this guy named Justin Kurzlin. There's this battle scene that's, like, fucking straight out of, I don't know, like, if you took Blade Runner and ran it through, like, the fucking good time filter from uh, the Safdie brothers <laughs> and, like, made a fucking movie like that, that's sort of close to what you're seeing with Macbeth. It's fucking strange. But anyway, he was also in Charlie Kaufman's incredible intimate animated movie called Anomalisa and the entertaining movie Wonder Woman. Just don't see Justice League because fuck. If you haven't already seen it and regret yeah, that decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, and he's in Avatar 2 and 3, a.k.a. Dances with Smurfs 2 and 3. Fuck you again, James Cameron. <laughs> Ferruzia Balk is perhaps most well-known for her work in the 1996 witch movie The Craft, as well as her unforgiving turn in the brilliant 1998 film American History X. She's also brilliant and almost famous. To be honest, I've only seen decent or great movies with her, so I'm not going to shit on her career too much here except for The Water Boy, which I fucking despise. <laughs> lastly, lastly for the actors, we have Ron Perlman, Hellboy himself. I'm sorry, David Harbour, but Perlman is better, and you just have to be great in Stranger Things. Don't try to do another Hellboy movie. Just leave it to Ron, for Christ's sake. Perlman is an unbelievably prolific actor, dude. He's been in over 260 movies and TV shows over a 41-year-long career. And he is great in Quest for Fire, the 1987 Beauty and the Beast, Pacific Rim, the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Nicholas Winding Reefin movie called Drive, I Sell the Dead, 
Blade to the masterpiece, The City of Lost Children, and Guillermo del Toro's Kronos. Skip Alien Resurrection. We just won't talk about that one. <laughs> this movie is only credited to Richard Stanley as a writer. I'll try my best to remain objective here in that this movie wasn't what Richard had written. Different script hacks came in to rewrite the script. Sometimes on the very fucking day that they were going to be filming a scene, they were rewriting shit. See script hack Ron Hutchinson for this one. The great screenwriter of Apocalypse Now's narration and Full Metal Jacket screenplay, Michael Herr, rewrote a draft prior to Hutchinson's involvement, as well as the Wild Bunch scribe Wallen Green doing uncredited rewrites. All of this was fucked up by Hutchinson, however. As the WGA requirement on screenwriting credit was solely left with Richard Stanley, as I believed was used as a scapegoat rather than pin it on stars Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer, so as such, I'll only concentrate on him. He was responsible for the bizarre but entertaining cyborg rampage movie called Hardware from 1990, the underwhelming horror flick called Dust Devil, which is insanely stylish, but that's about all I can give it, a segment of the horror anthology called The Theater Bizarre, and the cosmic horror brilliance that is Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. Seriously, see this flick. I don't mean to keep harping on Color Out of Space and fucking Mandy, but Jesus Christ! These are like <laughs> two of the best fucking horror movies that have come out in the last 20 years, and like nobody is watching them. Color Out of Space is like this acid nightmare of a fucking like cosmic horror movie through the HP Lovecraft filter. You gotta fucking see it! What the fuck? Otherwise, I haven't seen any of his movies, so I can't comment on his career overall, but he seems to have a ton of visual and horrifying brilliance in him, but no one seems to really give him a shot until Color Out of Space. He is currently working on a new version of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is actually supposed to be like a meta version of The Island of Dr. Moreau. So I'm really interested to see what he does with that. <laughs> and hopefully he can bring his original darker, more violent, and sexually explicit movie to the screen. This movie was officially directed by the late John Frankenheimer, as Richard Stanley was fired via fax from the studio only four <laughs> days into production. <laughs> Frankenheimer... Started his career as a director in 1954 with an episode of You Are Here, no idea what that is, and really made his mark with Birdman of Alcatraz with Burt Lancaster and the brilliant Manchurian Candidate in 1962 have you, with have Frank Sinatra. Have you been to Alcatraz, by the way? Uh, I haven't been on the island, actually, no. Oh, yeah, no. you gotta go. If you're ever in San Fran, it's like uh, something really, really special if you go there. I always wanted to do the uh, the midnight tour of Alcatraz that you can do. And... Yeah, that's what I did. You, like walk in and they give you like some headphones and you walk into the cell block and like they've got all these sound effects and it just sounds like you're a fresh fish like walking down <laughs> to your first night in prison. Yeah, but... <laughs> uh, you hear anybody threatening to rape you as you're walking through the cell block? <clears throat> Not explicitly, but <laughs> it's all under the surface. You know what they're talking about. <laughs> sure, sure. Side note, one of my favorite things in any prison movie is in uh, Shawshank Redemption when they're yelling out at Fat Ass and Fat Ass is sitting in a cell at the beginning and he's just like, he's crying and he's like, I want my mama. And that one guy across the cell is like, I had your mama. She wasn't that great. <laughs> 
John Frankenheimer also did the great Seven Days in May with Kirk Douglas, The Train with Burt Lancaster, Seconds with Rock Hudson, the formulaic but entertaining French Connection 2 with Gene Hackman, and the adrenaline-fueled insanity that is Ronin with Robert De Niro and Jean Reno. But mostly, he's made middling movies like Prophecy with Talia Shire, The Fourth War, Year of the Gun, and Reindeer Games, an action movie so fucking bad I wanted to travel back in time to unwatch it. Moreau was released on August 23rd, 1996 at 2035 theaters and was produced for $40 million. Side note, it's widely publicized that when this movie was originally greenlit with Stanley at the helm, it had a budget of only $8 million. It wasn't until Brando and Kilmer came on that the budget was inflated by 500%. What the fuck? Anyway. The Island of Dr. Moreau debuted in the number one spot, surprisingly enough, with a $9.1 million weekend. Below it, in descending order, was the Kevin Costner Rene Russo romance golf movie called Tin Cup in its second week, the awful, very Brady sequel in the number three spot in its first week, <laughs> the undercooked courtroom drama A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock, and Sam motherfucking Jackson in its fifth week, and lastly, rounding out the top five was the movie that all but guaranteed Francis Ford Coppola's career of making great movies was over, the Robin Williams-starring Disney-produced Jack in its third week. Side note, the same weekend, Independence Day, The Fan with De Niro and Snipes, Escape from L.A., Phenomenon, Eraser, Twister, The Rock, Mission Impossible, Matilda, Toy Story, Freeway, The Cable Guy, Courage Under Fire, and Train Spotting were all in theaters this same weekend. Once again with the fucking killer and somewhat abysmal 90s lineups, man. This movie was in theaters for 131 days and went on to gross $27.6 million domestically and $21.9 million internationally, making its overall global cum total an apocalyptic $49.6 million worldwide. This opening makes Moreau the 169th Labor Day movie of all time above it was the 2014 Judy Dench vehicle The 100-Foot Journey, and below it was the hilariously violent and fucked-up animated movie Sausage Party from 2016. I dig that movie, dude. I don't give a shit what anybody says about Sausage Party. That movie's fucking hilarious. I think the best part is when they're outside and they see all the trash on the ground and it's like all the like discarded things and there's like a, a used condom and it's like, help me! See, like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, it was it was weird. It was dark and warm, and then the the spooge. <laughs> it's a yeah. great movie. Check that movie out. My one of my favorite roles in that is uh, is Edward Norton playing the bagel. He's fucking great in that movie. He's talking to the lavash bread, and he's just like he's talking about him. He's like, why do I gotta walk through this hallway with this fucking mashugana cunt over here? <laughs> And then near the end of the movie, they're like going over the actors' names, and he's like Edward Norton. What kind of stupid cunt name is that? <laughs> uh, this movie also holds the 197th opening for a movie in the month of August. Again, this is bad, as late summer is a great time for late breakers. Above it is the 1984 Clint Eastwood mystery tightrope, and below it is the Kurt Russell classic that was out the same year, Escape from L.A. 
Overall, this movie sits as the 4,149th box office record holder of all time with Gus Van Sant's brilliant comedy crime thriller To Die For with Nicole Kidman above it. And below it was the 1983 deeply felt adventure drama Never Cry Wolf with Brian Dennehy. I always feel bad saying Brian Dennehy's name because of what South Park did to it. And they just like fuck with Brian Dennehy all the time in the South Park movie. And I just, yeah. I can't think of his name as anything but a punchline. The country that avoided this movie like the abomination to God that it is was Japan with a $2,035 opening weekend and gross. One weekend is all the Japanese could take <laughs> with this movie. The highest grossing movie of all time in Japan was 2001 Spirited Away by anime maestro Hayao Miyazaki with a 30.8 billion yen gross, equivalent to a 252.8 million US dollar gross, and an average of 803.16 yen in 1996 per ticket, or $7.40 American, that brings total asses and seats to our first whole number ever. 275 people saw this movie opening weekend in Japan. <laughs> I guess August of 96, none of our partial amputees were in Japan. So apologies if you were looking for any of those guys. With a population of 125.8 million people in 1996, that means that 2.1861 one millionth of a percentage point of Japan's population saw this movie opening weekend. In other words, the land where you can buy live rhinoceros beetles, canned bread, canned coffee endorsed by Tommy Lee Jones, and panties not used as I have read is a misnomer, all out of vending machines did not buy into the world of Brando and his chimeras. Side note, as I was researching weird shit sold in Japan, I wandered across a site that sold real used women's undergarments. Not unusual as they have a market for this in the States as well. But <laughs> I'm not kink shaming here, but this site also had a subsection devoted to selling other items that were previously used by young ladies in question, including spit for $18, urine for $28, and feces, which is shipped in a pink Tupperware container for the same <laughs> price. Yes, the land where an underground online market for women's fecal matter would not even see this fucking movie. <laughs> Dr. Moreau has a 4.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which is higher than I would have thought, to be honest, <laughs> with 30,783 votes, a splatty 24% on RottenTomatoes.com and a 20% audience score, and does not even exist on Metacritic. Maybe it's so bad they couldn't have it on their site. I'm not sure about that one. Side note, in terms of audience reaction with Rotten Tomatoes, this movie is in the same ballpark as Black Hat and The Happening. So not great bedfellows this week, but also it is way worse than both of those movies combined. This movie ranks highest amongst females aged 30 to 44. I guess that's the Val Kilmer factor in some way playing here with a 4.7 out of 10 and lowest amongst males aged less than 18 with a 1.5 out of 10. <laughs> this week, my only explanation of the 1,108 people who voted this a perfect fucking 10 best movie I've ever seen is that they must be serum-filled dogmen from the island who freed themselves and see this movie as some sort of a historical analysis before i get to my favorite reviews this week i gotta put a couple of critics on blast here david anson what the fuck dude 
You're a respected critic from Newsweek, and you actually liked this movie and called Brando's performance, quote, fun and daftly brilliant mesmerizing? What the <laughs> actual fuck, man? Steve Davis of the Austin Chronicle, same fucking deal, dude. You single out Brando as being mesmerizing and the most brilliant actor who ever lived? What the flying hairy good covered six-titted fuck are you talking about, you fucking twat? My favorite reviews this week begin with Peter Stack from the San Francisco Chronicle. Peter plods, quote, Nothing ever gets very scary in the island of Dr. Moreau, least of all the creatures. On their trip to animal regression, the beasts commandeer military-type vehicles and take up firearms and firebombs. It doesn't quite compute. When was the last time hyenas drove jeeps and blew away people with machine guns? Answer, when a Hollywood movie needed chaotic action sequences to keep audiences from demanding their money back out of sheer boredom. It's a movie that collapses under the weight of its own hokum. Original score, one out of four stars. Michael Souter from Entertainment Weekly scribbles, quote, Kilmer, as Moreau's fellow mad scientist, appears devoted to outmugging the master, and he nearly succeeds when he does a Brando impression that is almost worth the price of the rental. Yet, the rest of the remake is a study of cacophonous chaos. The closer those beasties come to taking over, the more deafening the island of Dr. Moreau becomes, and the less sense it makes." End quote. Original score, 1.5 out of 4 stars. Finally, James Bertinelli of RealViews.net claws out, quote, Brando's only on screen for about 15 minutes, and while there, his amazing girth is far more likely to capture our attention than his acting, end quote. Original score, 1 out of 4 stars. <laughs> Lastly, The Island of Dr. Moreau is rated PG-13 for sci-fi violence, horror, and gore involving mutant creatures. This is actually a misnomer because this week we looked at the director's cut, which is unrated, so take that as you will. It's also four minutes longer, and I think the main thing that was unrated was when they tear Marlon Brando apart and you see him holding the arm or whatever the fuck after he rips him apart. Anyway, so Paul, Tommy Lasorda stands on the mound. This five foot ten, 170 pound drink of water from Norristown, Pennsylvania is about to commit one of the greatest instances of bad sportsmanship in the history of the MLB. It's Thursday, June 7th, 1956, and we stand in Yankee Stadium with 8,001 fans in the stadium that seats 67,000 people. It's a sweltering hot summer day as we lumber through a 2-hour and 42-minute game that yielded a devastating loss by Tommy's Kansas City Athletics. It's the top of the 8th, and the Athletics are down by 7 as Tommy decides, as all sportsmen-like pitchers do, that the best way for him to express his exasperation in the heat and the coming loss is to start throwing harder and faster directly at the heads of the Yankee hitters. <laughs> the first few near misses can actually be attributed to the heat exhaustion and even frustration over the game, but it's the fourth, fifth, and sixth hitters that were smashed in the skull that sends the Yankees into a rage. Yankee Bill Squaron gets beamed square in the skull by a fastball hurled by Tommy. Bill drops his bat and screams out in anger to Tommy. Tommy's gentlemanly reply still confounds people to this day. Fuck off. Short, <laughs> sweet, and never out of style, Bill doesn't do as instructed by Tommy. Instead, the Yankee dugout empties in seconds as the Yankees storm the field toward Tommy. 
Tommy lands a few as Bill smashes him with a haymaker. Then Tommy's backup arrives. Within seconds, an all-out brawl ensues on the field. As these grown men beat the Christ out of each other, athletics manager Lou Bordreau decides he's had enough of Yankees manager Casey Stengel. Instead of immediately benching and trading Tommy, Lou decides his best bet at getting his team to a win is to insult Casey's mother and hit him in the fucking ear. Like the fastball Tommy used to spark the brawl, you think to yourself, Paul, it's genius. This idea I have can't possibly fail. As you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. Come visit me on my, on my private island out in the, uh, the Pacific. I want to talk to you about... A young man is making a book into a movie. It's called The Island of Dr. Moreau. And I figured it's so similar to my Colonel Kurtz depiction in uh, that awful movie, Apocalypse Now, that figured you just give me $20 million to make this movie while I sit in my ass and jerk off in my trailer repeatedly. (laughs) Give me some respect here. I'm on Brando, you fucking dog. You fucking producer dog. You're right. That's right. I own this fucking town, and I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll lick your team, Brando. How about that? Why? Well, uh, continue. Uh, continue. Yes, continue. It's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It tastes like tomatoes, doesn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> tomatoes and vinegar. Yeah, it's all good. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I know that he wanted to make a small, independent kind of film low budget but uh i figure that i could just take over this movie and do whatever the fuck i want because <laughs> i'm on brando i don't give a shit <laughs> let me tell you one more thing i want the smallest man you could find i want okay. him to stand under me and hold my saggy balls up <laughs> they're very they're very droopy in my older age now and they've been they've been falling and falling and Finally, they're knocking between my ankles here. And <laughs> so I want the smallest man. He has to be under two feet. You understand? Okay. Otherwise, he's too tall and he won't fit under my massive thighs. Okay. Wow, oh, that is... Uh, oh, no. <laughs> when we go to Australia to film this movie, I must have pizzas delivered to my, my hotel room, my mansion. Every five hours, you understand? Two pizzas, two pepperoni pizzas. Just leave them on the door, and I'll come and retrieve them with my little man. Great. I don't even know what the movie's about, but and I've never read the script or the book, but I, I figure I could just ad-lib my way through every scene. Maybe you could, uh, you could wire me up with a little headset that uh, people can read me lines if I really need it. <laughs> okay okay yeah whatever you want mr brando you're you're a fucking national treasure it doesn't matter how girthy and vinegary your fucking taint has gotten have fun in australia sir we'll just up the budget let's say we give you 40 million instead of 20 million how about that i don't handle money like you fucking dirty people do <laughs> i uh, just uh, deposited my account and uh, my man will take care great, of my great. small small man Dude, side note, d- did Marlon Brando owned an island, right? Like off of Catalina? He owned an island. I looked it up uh, outside of Tahiti, which is now a hotel you can go visit for 2,000 euros a night if you're interested. <laughs> 2,000 euros a night? Are you fucking serious? Yeah. 
Jesus. I mean, it's out in the middle of the Pacific, you know. I mean, it can't be cheap to run that place. But, uh, yeah. I'm not I mean, how many people they got rolling through for 2,000 euros a night in order for them nah, to afford know. that fucking place? Uh, luxury, luxury hotels, I, I guess. Know. Side note before we start, a lot of info for this week's episode on how this movie got so fucked up was garnered from the 2014 documentary Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau from 2014 it's currently on amazon prime and it's fucking fascinating you got to check it out yeah it's pretty fucking awesome it uh man it it makes the movie so much more uh it just makes the whole experience better right knowing that fucking richard stanley is one of the dog men in scenes hiding yeah. out in his yeah. makeup yeah it's so good <laughs> so good all right, so dude, first and foremost, you had seen this before, obviously, right? Yeah, I think I saw it probably when it came out, actually, <laughs> around that time. 96, yeah. PG-13. What, you... what, what you... the fuck, man? <laughs> I've also read the book, and the book's pretty cool because okay. it's all about Dr. Moreau like performing these month-long vivisections, like recombining animal parts while they're still alive like screaming the entire time into these like human beast men it's pretty wow. fucked up like, yeah, go check out the book <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about it when you first saw it i mean obviously this is fresher in your mind now but do you what yeah. was your memory of it prior to rewatching it for this movie i was disappointed when I, this was like teenage years and so I was expecting a level of violence and fucked upness and it just never got there for me. <laughs> and honestly, I had no fucking idea what Brando was doing with his little man. He's kind of creeped out by the whole thing. <laughs> oh, if he was trying to achieve that, I guess it worked. <laughs> I remember seeing this movie when I was like 14 or 15, I think, when I saw this movie for the first time. And I remember just thinking... I, I really, really wanted Stan Winston's makeup effects to be like on display and everything like that because I enjoy him so much. But just watching this, I was just like in physical pain for most of it because it's just it's so incomprehensibly stupid. And I, <laughs> I don't know how exactly that happened because even with an asshole like John Frankenheimer behind the camera, he had to have known that everything that he was shooting was shit, you know, and maybe he just didn't care like in the documentary, how they kind of portray that as being the case that he just didn't give a shit. But at the same time, it's like, dude, like, come on. Large paycheck, man. What I don't get, what I really don't get about the documentary is the assholeness of Val Kilmer. Like, He'd just come off of Batman the year before this. And did he think that he was like the biggest star in the world or something? And that he could just act this way? I was fucking confused by that. If you don't know, one of the famous stories in this movie was is that while they were filming, Val Kilmer was smoking a cigarette. And apparently he took the cigarette and he burned one of the crew members that was sitting next to him in the temple with it because he didn't like his lamb chops that he had on the side of his face. I'm like... What exactly is that about? Like, there's prima donna behavior, but this is just like psychotic behavior. It's uh, not, yeah. there's nothing. Maybe it was method acting as a young Marlon Brando inside of a movie, making a movie or something like that. Super meta. <laughs> Super meta. Yeah, maybe. Dude, uh, first and foremost, I'm a sucker when I see the New Line Cinema logo because, you know, I love Lord of the Rings and I always associate it with that. But I don't understand how they went bankrupt. Like, they made a 
fuckload of money from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then somehow they just like pissed it all away. I mean, when the Golden Compass made 180 million dollars, maybe they made too much money from Lord of the Rings. And so they hit it. They did the classic Trump where they hit it in offshore accounts, made a one flop, declared bankruptcy, and then suddenly they found all this money later on. <laughs> Boom. There you go. Yeah. No, I mean, tax free money. You could be right. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't seen this movie, like I said, since I was a teenager, and I forgot that Edward Pressman produced this. And just when his name comes up, I'm like, oh, man, like the producer of American Psycho, like, how the fuck did this seem like a good idea to him when he was thinking about this? (laughs) Are they trying to give me a fucking seizure? Like, seriously, epileptics beware. There are flash cuts all over the opening of this. fucking confusing you know the first scene dude he's floating around in the middle of the ocean. first first scene is like oh nice dissolve and they like dissolve <laughs> from the sea to the blazing sun just like a space balls yeah right. anyways go on, go on. <laughs> but the photography in the fight at the beginning is confusing like this guy is in the middle of the ocean and starts duking it out with the commando dude and it just so happens that there's a shark there that's just in time to attack his adversary as he chucks him <laughs> over the raft and then you just like leave it and it's like that's all of a sudden the movie just moves on and i'm like what like what what was that not important he was a lone survivor all right you could have just had him on the fucking raft you didn't need that and and something about humans being as low as beasts when you know the times are tough yeah there you go There's (laughs) there's this whole side thing in this movie about like the id versus the super ego right like the beast men are like the id and the super ego is the human being and blah 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 and they're constantly at war with each other and i'm like yeah if you were trying to do that like that did not come through like at all. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. But dude, how many people a year do you think are saved by random seafaring vessels just floating around? Uh, in the book, didn't the main character float up on the deserted island like almost like most dangerous game or am I misremembering? No, no, he got rescued by the boat with Montgomery in the book and Okay. First meets one of the beast men. <laughs> but the beast man is like manly enough to pass for a man almost except for you know disturbing traits like his eyes light up in the darkness and mm. you know he's just ugly as fuck but <laughs> <laughs> otherwise he's passable as a human being but right yeah, eh. wakes up and has this whole conversation with val and only then does he decide he should ask if this guy who placed an IV in his arm is a doctor. Like, seems a little late to ask, <laughs> but whatever. Dude, the scene with the rabbits, okay? The scene with the rabbits, Val Kilmer funnels all these rabbits and turns away just as the last one at the bottom of the screen hops out of the cage and clearly does not go into the cage. Like, <laughs> just seeing. It's like it's a bad edit point, and I'm like, you could have cut around that. You, you could have fucking cut around that. It's one of the many, many, many instances in this movie where it's that just was like... the one take that they could get Val Kilmer to do what he was supposed to do in the take. The other... <laughs> I mean, still, this this movie, this movie is the epitome of what happens when literally everyone that's involved with it just doesn't give a fuck what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't care. But I mean, he does snap the one rabbit's neck, but that wouldn't excuse his lack of noticing that the rabbit running away, like even if this was a character thing, but whatever. 
Dude, Thulis is extremely trusting of a man that treated the rabbit with kindness only to snap its neck and not react to it in any sort of distress. Maybe that's a sign that being on this deserted island with this guy isn't going to be great. I don't know. But he just keeps trusting this guy, which is fucking confusing to me. How many rabbit's necks have you snapped? I never snapped a rabbit's neck. At least five, right? That's what everyone does. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. At least five rabbits have snapped their neck over the course of my lifetime. (laughs) That's, that's, well, like I mean, fucking, yeah, that's like yeah. one of those statistics, right? Like you eat eight spiders in your lifetime of sleeping because they like crawl in your mouth and you eat them. You're bound <laughs> to snap five rabbits' necks over the course of your lifetime. But dude, this this is a tropical island, yet Moreau's Nobel Peace Prize is just sitting out in the open. Like seems like that would be a bad thing for the prize. Like it might dissolve in the humidity. I mean, they're made of gold as far as I know, so it wouldn't even lose its luster. I mean, it would be fine. Really? Unless in it's got salt in it. air? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, gold is like impervious to... Oh, the- right, the- gold is inert, right. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Unless you pour mercury on it. <laughs> this guy on YouTube, I forget his name, his parents own some mine out in like rural Utah, and he just has like hundreds of gallons of mercury sitting around, so he's like <laughs> always playing with the shit. <laughs> like he put mercury in a toilet and was flushing shit in it, you know, and then he what? filled up a bathtub with <laughs> like, okay, a toilet not connected to anything, but he wanted to oh, see if mercury okay. would flush. Okay. Did it? Yeah, and then he puts it in like a it did. It worked, but it weighed like four hundred pounds or something <laughs> crazy. Like but then he like put it in a, a big tub and he wore like rubber boots and he was actually able to stand above it like floating on it kinda. It was pretty really? crazy. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I know a little bit about Mercury's principles, but I, I didn't know that you could do that with Mercury. Yeah, it's super dense and heavy, so... Uh, I guess yeah, that makes you... sense, yeah. So, how much cancer does he have running through his body? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. He, he does weird shit all the time. It's like <laughs> drinking heavy water and... <laughs> so, yeah, stomach cancer and yeah. <laughs> Got a couple polyps growing in there, yeah. But dude, Thulis in this movie creeps up on a white girl doing a tribal dance while closing her eyes, right? Like, this is what we see until we find out that's the cat lady played by Ferrugia Balk. I just think of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and maybe that's where they took their inspiration for this whole thing, where uh, Dennis's wife, former ex-wife, turns into cat lady. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> right, Lestet, uh, I think is what she called herself, yeah. You wouldn't force a man to pay alimony to a cat, would you? <laughs> I love that episode of that show where they uh, they make fun of um, the jinx and they make fun of making a murderer on Netflix and fucking Dennis. Like, and they cut around him and they're like, oh, we could do 10 episodes out of this. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, it's always sunny. It's classic. Yep, classic. But did Thulis really think that his actions wouldn't surprise her and make her freak out? Like, he's fucking straight up standing there, like, watching her dance. I'm just curious how he saw this playing out in his mind, this whole scene. He's just so dazzled by her that he can't help himself. He's totally, totally (laughs) miscast in this movie, by the way. Like, he's totally wrong for the main role. Well, Val Kilmer, according to the documentary and other (laughs) sources, Val Kilmer was actually supposed to play the protagonist guy in the main role until he decided that he didn't really care for it. Right. So then they just put him on the set for Montgomery instead. Right, but he was it work. was also that he was going through that divorce or something like that and he had to like spend less time on the set because he was going through his divorce yeah. at the time. 
whatever. <laughs> Despite the girl having her eyes open the entire time after she is startled, Val Kilmer somehow is able to sit down on the porch within her eyeline and she doesn't see him until it's convenient to the scene. Like, she's literally right behind fucking Thulis. What the fuck, man? This is just a simple fucking filmmaking thing that just pisses me off. You'd think with her enhanced cat-like hearing that she would also hear him sneaking right from yeah i mean it, it only right. that only comes up after you've actually seen the fucking movie you know like you're like wait a minute <laughs> then there's another problem with it but thulis asks what did moreau win his nobel peace prize for right and val says he invented velcro they don't give nobel peace prizes for inventions <laughs> like i'm asking for a friend who invented right. like... i think it was probably a, a nobel prize in some science not I don't remember them saying it was a peace prize. Oh, but, yeah. right, right. Yeah, but you're right. Maybe he was making a joke in the movie, according to the script. Right, I, and I he just know, he's totally a, brushes he's a off like that, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell if it, Val Kimmer was supposed to be serious about it, if it was a serious line or know. a joke. I don't know. I mean, he plays it so fucking weird in this movie. You're just, like, confused at 90% yeah. of what he's doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, dude, Thulis gets locked in a room by Val that just so happens to have a paper clip for him to lock pick his way out, right? Have you ever been in a room that wasn't an office that had a random paperclip just hanging out? Like, real question. Mm, I mean, kitchen has paperclips spread around. Why are there paperclips in your kitchen? Because I don't have a lot of places to store shit, so (laughs) I've got my, like, drawer of random crap, you know, and paperclips in there. Okay. So I guess you're wrong, Gabe. Wait, can you lock yourself in a fucking kitchen, though? Like, do you have a door in the kitchen? (laughs) No, I don't, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But, dude, he wanders into the Kwanzaa hut and sees the doctors delivering the alpaca chimera child, and he freaks out, understandably, right? But if this is such a secretive act that Moreau is doing, the genetic experiments that are on the island, I mean, why would he have such shitty locks on his doors throughout this facility? (laughs) It's like single lock. I mean, it's a place out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, man. I mean... How often do you get visitors, right? I mean, I guess it's true, yeah. (laughs) But, dude, bad green screen on the leopard chimera running away from the river. What the fuck is that guy's name? Like, (laughs) fuck, I don't remember. But anyway, yeah, he's, like, running away, and you can see that he's, like, being physically moved by some shitty, like, early 90s match move computer (laughs) bullshit. It was terrible, terrible terrible CG (laughs) or whatever that was. But the the lawsayer chimera the girl leads him to pontificates that the want to make love to more than one in every which way, this is not what man does, and are we not men? End quote. But this happens all the time. People fucking multiple people and even wanting to is pretty much the universal truth in all of mankind. So isn't his argument false and a bit Protestant? Like, I'm confused by this. Okay, in the book, it's a bunch of laws that Moreau made up to control the beast. Right, right. Old bullshit, right? I'm just, I'm just uh, making a point. It's a stupid line, and it doesn't. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense in the context of what Moreau would be doing, but at the same time, it just pisses me off. Anyway, I'm like that. That's like the most human thing. Is like, <laughs> I want to put my dick in whatever I can before I die. It doesn't right. matter what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, 
these beings clearly have the ability to speak English and think, right? But they keep referring to human men as five men because of their five fingers. But wouldn't they just refer to them as men? Like, why do they have to keep referring to them as five men? I'm confused throughout well, this. I mean, they, they all aspire to be men, right? And so they're all men if they follow the laws. Right. And uh, right. so you have to differentiate. Them Wait, from so if, if they follow the laws, does that mean that they get the serum and it helps to keep them from regressing? That's something that they never went into. I think the laws are just there to scare them into not murdering the humans <laughs> and, and tearing each other limb from limb as what eventually happens in all of these kind of stories. So. Yeah. In the, in the words of uh, what's his name in uh, layer cake, all goes to tears. These general arrangements usually do <laughs> Michael Gambon. That's who I was looking for. Michael Gambon yeah. in that movie. Dude, he's fucking classic in that movie, man. He's so goddamn oh, yeah. good. I, I wish I was watching that rather than watching this fucking movie, honestly. Marlon Brando's intro reminds me of a mix of Emperor Palpatine trying to do a Walter Sobchak Halloween by way of Eastern Asian Pope. Like, it's fucking weird, to say the least. <laughs> it's weird as fuck. So that's, like, one of the things that I do enjoy about this movie is just how fucking weird everything gets. Like, Val Kilmer's crazy performance right. Moreau himself and the weird little dude all the shit that's going on in the movie and you're just like what the <laughs> fuck am I even seeing it's not my brain is just not making sense in any of right this. so it, as far as just craziness factor yeah it's definitely there for sure it's uh you know it helps pay for the admission well it's also it's also <laughs> very unique because of that craziest craziness factor like there wasn't anything else yeah. like this at the time it was really fucking bizarre and out there and like it sort of works <laughs> because of that in a way but structurally this movie is i mean it's not fantastic or anything like that it's like very basic but like it's not so incompetently put together that it's hard to watch it's just hard to watch because of how fucking off the rails that this thing gets like really quickly and for me it's mostly marlon brando's performance like marlon brando's performance is so fucking bad in this that it just it gets to the point where i'm like i'm embarrassed to is watch it bad it. Or is he genius? genius? Yeah, fuck you. I, I hate that fucking... <laughs> I hate that qualifier on this movie. But dude, I didn't ask you at the top of the podcast, but legitimately, out of 10 stars, what would you give this? Uh, three or four, maybe. <laughs> it's missing, like... It's missing a lot of entertainment factor. It's not that entertaining for the most part. I do like the cinematography in a lot of places, like... I like the cinematography at the beginning. I think the beginning is yeah, really yeah, beautiful, yeah. actually. Maybe maybe they spent more time kind of putting that together. But yeah, the like colors and everything it just uh, looks yeah. really cool. And uh, yeah, uh, that's about it. <laughs> I guess some of the beast costume things are kind of cool, but a lot I, of the I don't know, man. It just it sort of feels <laughs> like it's just you know shit tacked on to people. It, I mean, as I don't want to talk shit about Stan Winston because he did do a lot of like big work on this, and he did like a lot of hard work in order to create these creatures. But like a lot of it still feels. I mean, it's it's my number one pet peeve with every fucking movie that tries to do an alien or some creature is it always ends up revolving around like a bipedal thing, like in like covered in makeup, you know, and it's always yeah. humanoid in some way. Yeah. 
And like the only movie that I can remember within the last 15 or 20 years that broke that, like just completely disregarded it was Arrival, the fucking Denny Villeneuve movie, because the heptapods are like completely different than anything that you would have thought an alien life form would look like. And they didn't even try to like give them ears or a mouth or like anything. It's just like... Yeah, it's this thing that sort of looks like an inverted hand with seven legs. <laughs> Fuck you. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. But also, dude, Marlin's calculator watch can cause chimeras to convulse in pain. Like, that is the cheapest prop work <laughs> that I've seen in my fucking life. It's so bad. But Marlin says, I can't begin to summarize 17 years of research into the next 17 minutes. Is this the way of the screenwriter just avoiding trying to explain anything? Like saying it is what it is, fuck it, don't, don't worry about it, move on? Basically, I mean, they're like, yeah. you know, do you really want to hear a whole spiel about genetics and that? No, you don't. You want to get on to the killing, all right? So <laughs> I mean, it's been so long since I've seen this that I'm not sure that the first time that I saw this was because I wanted to see the killing, you know what I mean? Like, when I first watched this, I went into it knowing that this was like the fall of Marlon Brando that you can like point to and be like that, that right there. <laughs> it's like, when I went in watching this movie, that was the only thing on my mind, but I don't think it was the killing. But anyway, Marlon Brando is sitting there playing the piano as the tiny guy plays the piano on top of his piano is shocking and immensely silly, but <laughs> at the same time, it like literally spawned like you know the mini me thing from like austin powers the next year and yeah. then like the fucking uh doctor from south park whatever his name is you know like that yeah. guy because I, I mean i knew that's the reason that i knew about this movie actually is i was watching south park and that guy is in that fucking show with like the mini me and like all of his chimeras and the fucking thing and i knew that that was from dr moreau even though i hadn't seen it and I like I really wanted to check it out because of that, and that's why I ended yeah. up watching it. That and Marlon Brando, of course, is the reason why I ended up watching this <laughs> fucking movie to begin with. But anyway, Marlon Brando pontificating about the devil and how he is striving for human excellence is forty minutes into the movie. Like, how did it take this long to give us any information then proceed to not giving us any information except the genes? That's how we did this. But even though I am irradiating genes that causes humans to be inhuman, I somehow overlook any genes that make hooves, snouts, claws, etc. Like, he just so <laughs> happens to not look into that. Like, come on. But seems like his research is advanced and sloppy, like, simultaneously. But I, I do get this, like, overall feeling in this movie that he's fucking the creatures and that's how, like, these things are being made is he's fucking these things. I mean, he has his children, right? Right. Supposedly, yeah. I mean, refers to him as his sons and daughters or whatever. Right. So I don't know if he's uh, getting it on with them or <laughs> making them somehow from his own genetic material. I don't know. I mean, he's ejaculating way, something. By the way, there is... A distinct possibility that this could happen like the science <laughs> is there now uh there's this technology oh, called, well there's this technology called crispr and it's basically just do whatever you want gene editing technology and <laughs> it's very cheap i mean the latest thing was uh the first human embryo babies were taken all the way to uh 
pregnancy and born with edited genes using this uh, technology in China. Okay. And the dude that did it got a lot of flack, but I mean, <laughs> the, the bat's out of the box, whatever, Pandora's out. And so someone crazy enough with a decent amount of resources could buy their own <laughs> island, start making dogmen and all this kind of shit. I mean, it's it's more complicated than that, but the tools exist now for this kind of shit to happen. I just remember that the, like the International Evangelical Council like freaked out when scientists were starting to merge pig DNA and human DNA in order to grow human hearts like outside of hosts. And they were like proving that they could grow human organs without having a host and like create it out of pig DNA and human DNA. And like evangelicals freaked out about this. And they're like, it's an affront to God, these things, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, all right. They're not sentient, motherfucker. You know, like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, if, if, if I could drink all day as much as I want and then get a nice pig man replacement liver, liver I'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> You mix this movie with like the Michael Bay movie, The Island, and then you got like pigmen that you're harvesting fucking organs from. And yeah, I could see that. But dude, Marlon freaks out about the rabbit fricassee, right? So is this movie an anti or like a pro vegetarian movie, like an anti meat movie? Is that what's going on here? Uh, well, I mean, in the book, everyone is supposed to be vegetarian because that's one of the laws. Right. And so when Montgomery kills the rabbit and brings it in, it's like breaking the law. And, you know, he's not trying to fucking challenge the, uh, the status quo here. Right. Uh, I think that's what it's supposed to be about, but I don't think. Okay. Sure. All right. Whatever. But at the same time, they do like bring rabbits on the Island specifically for food. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hate how the dinner scene is used as a function scene without any advancement in the story. Like Thuelis hasn't eaten yet in this story. Then there's this tasty meal in front of him and Marlon dismisses everyone after his monologue because that's what the scene required. Right. But it still didn't put any food in Thuelis' stomach. You know what I mean? Like, it's a fucking function scene, but it's like, dude, after he leaves, he's still hungry. He hasn't eaten yet. What the fuck, man? I fucking hate function scenes like this. But anyway, speaking of dinner, this leads me to my sandwich beef of the week. Oh, shit. talk today about the importance of cooking your meat at proper temperatures okay i previously touched on this with my complaints about undercooked chicken and raw hamburger and bacon but this week i want to turn my attention to bison okay i recently started this tv show called godfather of harlem it's the second season we are shooting at a stage in east new york brooklyn right this week at a deli on rockaway boulevard i was greeted with such overcooked bison meat that I got real beef this week, okay? <laughs> First and foremost, props gotta be tendered where they are due. This deli is legit awesome for its low prices, fast service, and a grill man who remembered my preferences within only a couple stops at his deli. That may be because I look like a paisana to him, but I digress. This deli is halal first off, so as you'll remember that means that there's no pork. But in place of pork, these people really go above and beyond to have interesting options. The deli is 200 square feet and has one of everything in terms of convenience, but the real treasure here is that they have venison 
elk, bison, and ostrich burgers, right? This is literally the first deli I've ever been to in all of the five boroughs that has venison, bison, and elk on their menu, which I find awesome. So when I see on the specials menu, you have a bison cheesesteak with smoked gouda and garlic sauce, along with the other usual fixings, I'm intrigued, right? I queue up, and the grill man happily greets me as Mr. Spicy. What spicy are you having today, primo? <laughs> I chuckle and tell him that the bison cheesesteak with everything spicy as he can. I should have known with how long it was taking, but I wanted to believe that the dude was taking his time on my sandwich like he usually does, making it as spicy as he can. A few minutes later, hero in hand, I walk back to the stage and sit in my car, excited to chow down as this is fast becoming a favorite deli in the area. I bite down into the steaming cheese-filled hero and crunch a crunchy bit of thin-sliced bison. I figure that's okay, the crunchy bits happen sometimes with cheesesteaks, but the next bite yields the same result, then another bite, and another. The event that led to the sandwich's demise was I bit down and hit a crunchy bit that felt like I hit a fucking olive pit. I pulled it out of my <laughs> mandible, and lo and behold, the bison was overcooked to the point that it was like a rock. I pulled a few more chunks out like that, and I decided... Fuck this gravel sandwich, I can't do it, and I threw it away. Again, I know it's hard to grill multiple kinds of meat and plates, but a meal is only as strong as its weakest link, and the Rockaway Deli on Rockaway and Farragut Road, the weak link here is the shining star of the sandwich, which is a problem. I'm not going to go so far as to say go fuck yourself, but I will issue the following strong warning. Proceed with caution, primo. This Pison won't deal with your bullshit. Speaking of bison, I was in uh, Yellowstone like uh, about a month ago and came across a bison carcass that was like freshly killed the night before. Some guy hit it on the road and they like dragged it off the road. Jesus, uh, bison are huge. There he, oh yeah, his, I guess the story goes his truck was like completely totaled. But oh, yeah. anyway. Whoa, 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 so, hang on, hang on, hang on. Did I ever tell you that story about how when I was living out in the desert that I saw an 18-wheeler liquefy a cow? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you that story. There's like, you know, remember when we would drive out to my parents' house and there was like, you know, the fucking transfer facility for the garbage and then you kept driving a little bit in the left hand yeah. side? There was that like cattle auction place. It was kind of in the middle of like a mini valley. So anyway, this 18 wheeler is like hauling down Highway 6 headed toward Las Lunas, headed east. And like, I'm like, I don't know, five or 600 yards back from this thing. But this is like 10 o'clock at night. I don't even remember where I was going, but it's pitch black, you know, because there's no fucking lights out there. It's a fucking county road in the middle of the desert. But there's enough moonlight out that I can see the truck in the distance. All of a sudden, I see his brake lights come on, and I just see, like, this skidding. Like, the trailer starts skidding and jackknifing, and he fucking hits something. And I just see this, like, cloud of pink mist, like, fly up. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, what the hell did he hit? So... I drive up and like he's like sliding off to the edge and I drive up and there's like cow bits all over the road like just fucking a plume of cow spread out all over Highway 6 and I just looked at it as I was driving past I was like this is like post apocalyptic as fuck like it's not even like 
you know, in Three Kings, when the cow steps on the landmine and explodes, like in front of yeah. the Humvee, it was like worse <laughs> than that, bro. It was fucking disturbing. But anyway, I'm sorry. Anyway, Continue with your story. All right, all right. Back to the the bison. The bison was intact. It it looked like it died of some internal injuries or something like that. I camped out for like a whole day straight watching this carcass, hoping that some wolves or a bear would come by and like tear into this <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. But I'm just staring at this like rotting carcass thinking man that would be really good right now to have a buffalo burger or (laughs) (laughs) so you were were thinking about the revenant that you were just going to rip a bison liver out i was getting real hungry and uh, yeah i just my mouth would start watering looking at this giant (laughs) pile of delicious meat just sitting there that actually goes bad like surprisingly quickly. I remember yeah, that like yeah. in uh, in the book for the Revenant by Michael Punke during that scene, the carcass has only been sitting out for like a few days, but in the middle of the fucking tundra, so he thinks it's gonna be okay. But in the book, he doesn't like pull out the liver like they show in the movie and eat it. He like it's so fucking like solid that he decides that he's going to break the bones and suck the marrow out of the bones because it'll give him the most nutrient dense least amount of work and he can eat it raw but in the book yeah. it talks about how it's like it's so decayed only after a few days that this like marrow is basically like putrefied jelly that's like <laughs> dropping into his mouth and he like vomits this back up like almost immediately so like that's that's in the movie with the bison <laughs> liver but it's disgusting. Like that that book is fucking great by the way. If you haven't read The yeah, Revenant cool. book, it's a fucking great book. I love it. Going back to this movie. Thulis goes to the ship to presumably find a way off the island, right? But is surprised when the army of bipedal rats jumps him. Like how the <laughs> fuck did this dissuade him from continuing his escape attempt? Like he couldn't have just started smashing the rats and like stomping on them. They weren't That's attacking awesome. him yet. That was also some real bad CG. Like when you actually do see them kind of moving around or or puppetry. I guess it was yeah, combo of both. Whatever but, it was, yeah, yeah it was fucking fake. awful though. They looked pretty fake. They couldn't find yeah. people small enough to put in those rat costumes. I guess I don't know. What the I mean, uh, <laughs> the, and then there's a ch- if they did the rat costumes, there's a chance that it could turn out looking like cats, you know, with the mice costumes. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, low my right the uh, the leopard man that had the bad green screen work earlier. He's on trial for killing the rabbit that Val killed originally, right? And he runs to attack Marlin. With all the visual effects power and brilliance the cats had 23 years later. Like, it's really <laughs> fucking bad. But Marlin's dreadlock son shoots Lomai in the head with a bolt gun, and they immediately move on despite the trial being about Lomai killing a rabbit. Like, I know they're trying to protect something here, but this doesn't make sense that they no, immediately move on. They just like, oh, it doesn't matter. Nobody pay oh. attention to this very public execution that you all just saw happen. Isn't the law about not killing things? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so in a screenwriting sense, is that the seed that's planted in the hearts of the fucking chimera that they start questioning the morality of killing things? Is that what this is functioning as? I suppose. I don't I'm know. <laughs> spitballing, you know, because this movie's so fucking weird that it's hard to grasp onto anything. But Hyena, the character Hyena, in not-so-great makeup, realizes that there's a chip in Lomai for Marlin to control him, right? And he shoves the chip into his own rib to try to presumably remove his own chip. 
Like, I don't get this. And how it happens in front of the cremation pit and no one sees, hears, or notices this shit. <laughs> like, he pulls it out and you know what I'm saying, though? He's, like, jamming it into his own chest. At least that's what it looked like he was doing. I don't know if it was just, like, bad editing, but it no. looked like he was jamming I, a chip into his own chest. I think he just stuck his fingers into his own chest to rip his chip out. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I mean, shoved anything in there. I don't know. Like, that was the whole point. He's ripping the chip out of his chest. Right, right, right. right obviously. Under his skin. <laughs> but, dude, why is the tiny guy naked in the doping scene? Like, he's standing on the Jeep <laughs> naked as Val gives everyone their dope. Yeah. But Why? Why did we need to see this? This is like oh, that yeah. movie from 1936, I think, called Freaks. The Todd Browning movie, the director of Dracula did that movie Freaks after he did it. And he got like a lot of flack later on because he was like casting real freaks and he wasn't paying them and whatnot. But it reminds me of that. It's like it's just spectacle for the sake of spectacle for you to be like, wow, look at how fucked up that is. Wow, man, <laughs> fucked up. You're just like it's exploiting people. people. Got got that weird like tail nub thing that's almost yeah. like an extra arm. Dude, uh, that guy. You know when they when they talk about the documentary, they say that the guy that plays that character is like 27. He's from the Dominican Republic, I think, and he was 17 inches tall. They were saying. I was like, what yeah. the fuck, <laughs> man? I thought like that was way shorter than I thought because I thought the smallest person like ever was like. A little over two feet i didn't know that people could actually be that small and live to be that long i always thought that little people died like fairly quickly because their body is fucked up i don't know i don't know didn't stop him from uh sexually harassing uh people on the set <laughs> yeah, yeah. dude it reminds me of that uh sequence in uh in bruges when he's talking about like the midgets and he's just like is your midget going to kill himself? <laughs> like, they, they try to off themselves really quickly. But, dude, Hyena shows up and reveals to Val that he pulled his implant out. And it sends them on a hunt to dart him and put the implant back into him. But why would he reveal this info to Val? Like, does he want to be hunted? Like, what is the point of him stating that he knows he is being controlled by an implant? Oh, right. To advance the plot. That's the reason. Like, This is just such a stupid moment. Like, if he knows that this is what's controlling him, he's going to try to revolt anyway in order to see if the fucking calculator watch that Marlin presses affects him. But there's no point in him turning his card that early. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any fucking yeah. sense. He is but, kind of not very smart. Most of the no. people aren't very smart. So, you know. Yeah, I guess it's true. <laughs> I did a bad thing. Right. But dude, Thulis knows that Val Kilmer distributes the drugs to the Chimeras, right? So when Val catches him trying to send a message on the radio and says to Thulis, there's so much you don't understand. Why don't you smoke this and maybe you can start? Why would he actually smoke that? Like it could be pot or it could be a cocktail of laced mushrooms. Like Thulis has literally no reason to trust this guy enough to ingest drugs that he's been handed. I don't get that fucking scene. I don't know, man. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. But you know what is another classic Brando scene? It's when what? he has his ice bucket hat. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's the very next note is it cut to Marlon Brando eating string beans and wearing a spittoon on his head. Like, what the fuck is going on with the costume design for this movie? But... I didn't know this until I watched this movie and I did my notes and I didn't know this until after I watched the documentary, but apparently he, uh, 
he saw that like sitting on set and he decided to just put it on his head and like add in this scene that she was putting ice on top of his head. It's fucking strange. Then his daughter like pours something on his hat after he states my caloric converter is empty. Like what the fuck? We never come back to this. Like it is an ice bucket and she's pouring ice on her head according to the documentary. But in the movie, he says, my caloric converter is empty. So I was assuming that what she was pouring was some sort of food that he could, like, ingest through his scalp. Like, I was so fucking confused by this. And they never come back to it, which is even more infuriating. <laughs> yeah, you never see him with hat again. Yeah. No, no. But, dude, Hyena and some other chimeras break into Marlin's piano room, and he plays the piano for him simply to lull them and see Hyena pull his chip out. That scene doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know that he doesn't want to like immediately attack these motherfuckers, but again, there's no point of this scene of him just showing up and showing everybody his fucking chip and like Marlon Brando freaking out or whatever, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Hyena monologues for a moment and reveals the watch calculator pendant doesn't work on him, right? And attacks Marlon pretty viciously as they put him in a hammock and tear him apart. In the director's cut, they, like, they tear him apart even worse. Thulis sees this and shoots at the chimeras and can't hit shit, obviously. And immediately they burn Marlon Brando after Hyena grabs the pendant and runs. But the bonfire isn't very big and wouldn't be very effective at burning Marlon's body, so they'd be left with essentially a Marlon barbecue more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> or am I, I misinterpreting this? I think they want to entice the uh, non-believing animals out of the, the forest that, by burning know, him very publicly yeah, well, yeah burning him publicly getting that nice barbecue smell in the air all over the <laughs> islands and they come over and they're like oh i see what you're doing and they right. just shoot head, right that's what i do there's a small town murder where they talk about this guy that just like randomly flew off the handle and he kills his wife and they owned a pizzeria and he like stuffed her body after cutting it up like in the pizza oven and like cooked it right and then he <laughs> took the cooked bits and he shredded them into like little pieces and then like buried them in the fucking garden somewhere and he like hid the bones somewhere else right. But, like, during the podcast, like, James was talking about how, despite the flesh being as bad as it was, at a certain point, that meat was actually cooked perfectly. And it's, like, very disturbing to think of it in that sense. <laughs> it's the same thing with Marlin here. It's like, at a certain point, there is some, like, human meat that is cooked perfectly, that is perfectly edible for consumption by anybody that's a meat eater. This is the cannibal side of my brain talking. I'm going to cut this out probably. But... Uh, why not? Uh, cannibalism is the whole theme in this movie. Right. So I just roll with it. I was talking to someone about this the other day, but I thought, okay, so like mad cow disease, right, was caused by them grinding up cows and like throwing their cow brains like in with it. And there's like an enzyme in the brain that if it like goes back into whatever species is like cannibalizing it, it like causes the mad cow disease, right? But... I thought that if you eat any amount of meat from your own species that you would get this same chemical, or is it only the brain? Do you know anything about this? No, it's uh, there's also mad human disease. It's very closely related. It's a prion, say, self-replicating protein. So it's kind of like a protovirus or something like that. But it can get in your, uh, your nerve tissue, especially in your brain. And so really, you 
if you were eating humans, you wouldn't get it unless you started eating brains, most likely. And then that okay. would fuck you up. And I mean, it, it attacks your brain. So people go mad when they are <laughs> infected, right? <laughs> so, uh, so wait, it, it causes like uh, partial tremors and shit like that, too, right? The reason that I'm asking that is that like at the end of Hannibal, right? Like he eats ray Liotta's brain and i'm assuming that that's not the first time that he's eaten brains yeah but like fucking hannibal lecter other than being insane in that he's eating people like he doesn't show any other i guess symptoms of like mad human disease despite being like a cannibal so maybe this is the first time he's eaten. i brain. mean you know it's a risk you take when you have a rare steak that you'll get e coli or salmonella too right it's like <laughs> Most people don't have the the disease, and so you'd be fine if you ate them. And probably only only get it if you're eating people uh, that it it spreads in more readily, like random cannibal tribes in Papua New Guinea or something like that, right, right, versus right, right, right. someone from Washington D.C. who's grown up in a cosmopolitan lifestyle. Or <laughs> you could also get it, I guess, if you ate someone who had been eating mad cow diseased meat then uh <laughs> cow from them too i guess but, that's true yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay all right well let's move past cannibalism for anyways a probably don't eat brains i mean you know you don't <laughs> really need to do that wrong <laughs> kids out there you know yeah don't eat brains don't eat brains <laughs> don't and don't eat each other for the love of god please do not eat each other <laughs> dude <laughs> Thuelis, rather than run, decides the best use of his time is to help Marlin's daughter from regressing by finding a serum in Val's destroyed lab so he can satisfy his sexual attraction to her. But like, but first, <laughs> Marlin's dreadlock son makes a deal to show Hyena where there are more bullets in exchange for his chip being removed. Hyena removes his chip. They burn the dock, which explodes when lit on fire. But it is very clear that the boat didn't explode. Yet Hyena still says, none shall escape. Couldn't people just walk to the unexploded boat and board it? Like, And besides, big place like this and they only have one boat? Like, How the fuck did they get all this shit on the island with that one tiny boat? In the book, the the dude, what's his name, gets picked up by a like supply ship that takes him to the island along with Montgomery and a bunch of supplies and shit. Okay. And the captain of the boat doesn't like the cut of him, and so he kicks him off the boat, and so that's how he ends up on the island. He doesn't have a choice <laughs> in being there. <laughs> but dude, now Val decides he's going to do his best Marlon Brando impression dressed as Vanilla Ice and throw out drugs like i'm confused on why he decides he's just going to go nuts and assume the throne like is is this like a goal of his to be worshipped by the chimeras and like when were the seeds of this planted it just kind of comes out of nowhere <laughs> this, this is what happens point. and like <laughs> it's like all i could think of is like this is what happens larry this is what happens larry. <laughs> <laughs> But, dude, a bunch of chimeras appear to be humping around Val. Like, is this what's so great about being the king of this island? Like, you just see a bunch of chimeras, like, fucking randomly, and that's 
I mean, what what exactly is his goal here? Like, that's that's my real question. Yeah. See, if the original director had done that scene, it would have been like a whole orgy scene of all these animals going at it. But instead, they just kind of <laughs> hinted at it a little bit, which is I, I think it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's would you want to see an orgy <laughs> scene? <laughs> like, I think. I think I, know, I mean I've never seen a fucking dog man orgy in a movie so there is that <laughs> yeah I think that would be the whole reason to see it just to be shocked for it to be spectacle. first yeah <laughs> dude but Val asks dreadlocks what the instinct of a dog is and says quote I want to go to dog heaven, end quote, and Dreadlock shoots him in the chest, granting his wish. The Chimeras can't figure out basic things on their own, but all of a sudden they know a dramatic irony and reversal of fate by shooting Val several times and announcing, now we are men. Doesn't make any fucking sense. They just like grow a sense of irony like randomly. Not to mention that they figured out how to use firearms without anybody like teaching them yeah. how to use firearms. Oh man, when the hyena guy... And his cohorts go into Marlon Brando's office or whatever, and they start shooting it up. And they have the AK-47s, but they shoot like 400 rounds into the office. And then they finally run out of ammo like five scenes later, in the middle of the night or something like that. Like, huh. Yeah, I was going to get to that later because that was going to be my hack attack of the week. But thanks for ruining Whoops. that. God damn. Well, God damn. But dude, Thulis is still pouting in a lab, and Brando's daughter comes to comfort him, right? Further exacerbating his sexual attraction toward her, because we all needed to see this love story, apparently. That's what this movie was desperately missing, was yeah. this love story. <laughs> it's not in the book, but it is in every incarnation of every movie, period. Like, they have the panther lady in the, uh, yeah. in the first movie or whatever, the, the island of lost souls or whatever. Fucking stupid. Doesn't matter. But... And now all of a sudden the chimeras can drive cars again. Like that review yeah. said, like all of a sudden they can figure out cars and weapons and just so that way they can have this third act bullshit like happening. But it's a good thing, dude. It's a good thing that every compound in every movie ever has a stack of 55 gallon drums full of gasoline, just waiting to be tipped <laughs> over. Otherwise the chimera who was driving wouldn't have been able to drive into them and allow hyena shoot them with a fucking flare gun all of a sudden, he knows how to shoot a moving target, by the way, <laughs> and blow it up. But it's even more amazing how every hero is able to run away and get blasted through the air to safety. This is one of the many moments in this movie that it just goes completely <laughs> off the rails. And you're like, what? 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 Like, how did this start? Where exactly? Otter World, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I ever own an island compound, I think I will have the giant stack of 50 gallon drums of gasoline just in case there's a moment like that that you right. need an explosion <laughs> like i said you ruined my hack attack moment of this week but it is once again hollywood has no concept of how many bullets are in a gun like hyuna gets a machine gun and fires several hundred rounds from one magazine literally strafing the entire room hollywood stop doing this a 30-round mag is empty in less than three seconds. This is basic shit. Stop doing this. But, dude, when Dreadlocks catches up with our star-crossed lovers, Marlon's daughter regresses enough for us to realize that she was a cat chimera, right? He wraps a rope around her neck and hangs her in front of Thulis as he cries in anguish. But my question is, why did they have to kill Thulis's pussy? Ha! Ha! 
Can I make this pun or is it too soon? <laughs> nah, that's good. Like you don't even see her like hanging. It's like a yeah, shadow. It's a fucking hanging. shadow. I mean the shadow. I I didn't mind the shadow so much to be yeah. honest with you. But you know, I mean, if they wanted to go with like an actual R-rated movie, it would have been better to like see some violence and like her neck snapping and shit. I would have been into that. But it would have made this movie infinitely more entertaining. <laughs> or they would have CG'd it and it would have looked like cats. Shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, side note. We went to go see Tenant, right? Like we went with Dave and Tara. And Dave and Tara revealed to Caitlin and I that they had actually gone to see cats in theaters when it was the prior release the two days oh, before shit. they fucked it up and like they <laughs> sent out the new cut. And like they were telling me that there was a lot of like fucking faces not stuck to bodies like still floating <laughs> around in bad areas and i was like i would have paid good money to travel back in time and seen that just so i could fucking see how bad it was because if the movie that we saw was the preferred cut jesus christ almighty what the <laughs> fuck happened going back to this movie hyena grabs thulis by the head and tells him tell the others that i am god and he presses the button to subdue all of them with the electric shocks of their implants. My question is, why does he need Thulis to tell them? Like, he's not a valued member of their societal chain and wouldn't just pushing the fucking button while declaring himself a god <laughs> be enough for these primitive Seems fucks like to enough. believe you? I mean, come on. Seriously. He is a five-fingered man, though. Well, Maybe. I guess... I guess structurally in their society, the five fingered men are the people that like have the power anyway. So maybe that, maybe that makes sense if I'm stretching it. But also when the others are convulsing on the ground, why would the henchmen of hyenas clan unload their machine guns into the crowd? Like what purpose does this serve to chain gun the <laughs> fuck out of the other chimeras? Uh, I don't know I was, either. I was confused by that. They're just like shooting machine guns. Cause it's really fun. Yeah, and somehow Hyena still hasn't reloaded his clip despite having fired several hundred <laughs> rounds from it by now. But Marlin's timid son wearing the white jacket decides he is going to finally help and throw a torch into the pool of gasoline, and the whole fucking village explodes. Like, why do bad guys always store flammable shit in areas that would be devastated if they exploded? I'm just saying, like, if you have thousands of gallons of gasoline, and you're on an island, right? Wouldn't you store that shit far away from the fucking village that you're trying to store? And I don't know. This is a real question. You got to like drag it out though. Every time you need more gas, it sucks. So you should just store it underneath yeah. the fucking hut. Yeah, just, just put it next to your house, right? I mean, there is the whole thing about maybe this is like the doomsday scenario that if things go really wrong, he pushes a button and he lights all these motherfuckers on fire. <laughs> but I don't know. As I understand it, though, they're all living in that, like, underground lair. None of them actually live, like, you know, in a house or anything like yeah. that. They're all, like, yeah. being subjugated, so... It, it still doesn't make any fucking sense, even if I try to stretch it. <laughs> Hyena walks into the flaming building and expertly summarizes what we've all been thinking. Why? Why? Why did they make this movie? But Ron Perlman shows up as the lawsayer and says, quote... Perhaps four legs is better than two because two is hard, end quote. Just, what? Like, what is this line supposed to mean? Like, I guess he means two legs is hard as in, like, you're human, presumably, and, like, you're denying your own 
self and like maybe embracing the id over the super ego is the right thing to do i mean i'm not sure what's going on human i think it's referring to human sense of morality and having to make decisions about morality and taking the high road instead of becoming the beast again without any worries about that right so i think that's what it's all about but he says four legs is better than two, meaning that the chimera version, not the man version, is better. So he's arguing yeah. in the opposite. Well, he's saying it's easier to be a dumb beast and not have, uh, you know, self-awareness or, <laughs> you know, any kind of moral inclinations or laws to abide to and just kill everything you see. Instead, right. right. So. I, I guess. But dude, Thulis has the last word saying, this is a true account of what he saw and that when he sees people being terrible to each other, he is reminded of the beast people and he is filled with fear. But did he really need to see this bullshit for him to realize that man shouldn't <laughs> act like a fucking animal toward their fellow man? Like, and what deeper purpose does this serve other than his own edification? It's not like he's trying to help anyone by telling his tale or like educating people on what he saw. He just like wanders off and like lives in fear <laughs> for the rest of his life. Like it's a fucking moral lesson that doesn't actually make any impact on the yeah. greater story. It just yeah. ends. Yeah. But we <laughs> finish off the scene and we roll credits. Why? Oh, why? Oh, why Paul did this need to exist? Like, you know, I understand that maybe Edward Pressman was trying to make like, a fucking weird like art house like eight million dollar movie and whatnot and then it got out of control but like the executives at new line are completely to blame for this <laughs> dude like this is what happens when you let a studio like fuck with your movie is this this is exactly like a perfect example of what happens when a studio fucks with a movie like you get this you get Gili, you get fucking cats you get the tourist like this is exactly what happens when you let a fucking studio fuck with the movie. Like, stop doing this. Studio executives, leave yourself the fuck out of it, you pieces of shit. <laughs> Seriously. So, Paul, legitimately, do you have anything else to say about this movie? Because, like, you read the book and, like, obviously the documentary was very entertaining and, like, we both enjoyed the documentary, but... This movie is just like, it's one of those examples of something that you see and you're kind of ashamed that you've seen it, but you're also kind of proud that you saw it because you're part of the cultural language now of like people to talk shit about this movie. And obviously we're not the first people to ever talk shit about this movie. We're jumping on a long bandwagon of people that fucking hate this movie. It was uh, entertaining enough. I think compared to some of the other movies we've watched, I, I was more entertained by it. And I think uh, Marlon Brando and Val Kimmer brought some, some interesting uh, things. Here. Yeah. So there, there's a story from the set that I actually really like. And it's this story about how Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer refused to come out of their trailers until the other person came out of the trailer. <laughs> and like everybody was sitting around on set all day waiting for somebody to shoot something or somebody to put their fucking ego away. I'm like, well, that's a very interesting dick measuring contest. I don't think <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> Dude, I don't know, man. This this movie, in terms of like comparing this to something like more conventional, like The Happening or, you know, Six Underground or something like that, were you more entertained by this than something more conventional that we've seen? Uh, well, I don't know if 
if I would say that. I think it has a lot more interesting stuff going on that you can bitch about or talk about right. or make think about than say the happening uh, to me wasn't all that interesting. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I mean I yeah, like... there's so much bonkers shit going on in this movie. <laughs> 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 it I doesn't make like... sense in so many places. I mean, I feel like I was more entertained by this movie than I was like Six Underground, which I found myself repeatedly like drifting off when I was watching yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the third act, it turns into a bullshit like Hollywood shootout movie, and I kind of nodded off during that part, but... <laughs> The first, uh, yeah, two thirds of this uh, keeps your interest enough to find out what's gonna show up on screen next. Is it gonna be Marlon Brando having sex with the little man or something like that? Or, oh know, my god, it didn't seem like that was out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> oh god, that would have been horrifying. Especially Marlon Brando being the giant walrus of a human being that he is in this. You know, just just seeing him like dissolve, not just like physically, but like as an actor over the last 10, 15 years of his career. It's like it's fucking painful to watch, man. I don't exactly know how that happened. But, you know, like with we we mentioned it before, like Apocalypse Now, he started showing like his signs of being this kind of guy. They had made Godfather together, you know, like him and Francis Ford Coppola. Then he wanted him for this Colonel Kurtz part, and he wanted him to, like, be trim, like he had been living in the jungle and shit, and, like, know his lines and be off script and blah, 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 blah. And, like, Marlon shows up, like, in the middle of the fucking Philippines, like, drunk, a hundred pounds overweight, and, like, never having read the script. And he's just sitting there, like, ham-fisting his way through it. <laughs> and it kind of works for that movie, for yeah. sure. But, like... It did not work for the score where he's like trying to sit there and talk to fucking Edward Norton's character. And it's just like you can see the fucking earwig sticking out of his ear where he's being fed the lines and like regurgitating them onto the fucking screen. It's hard to watch, man. It really is. And I don't know if this is just what happens when a crazy person finally just loses it because i mean marlon is nuts you know he's always been nuts he got it he got a nice ego trip and then he got away with it once and then he got away with it again and again yeah. and again and people kept paying him money to come and <laughs> shit on their movies and you know let's just film marlon brando doing weird shit and, what a uh, fucking life man what a life dude you just show up, you make a few million dollars, and you just shit all over a movie, like, nonstop. Like, that's fucking fantastic. <laughs> what a fucking life this guy had. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, Paul, looking forward to next week. I know that I had said that I wanted to bump up uh, Jingle All the Way. Are you still into that? Like, you know, because you don't want to lead the lead. You're going to need to run the lead on that. I got a lot of diarrhea stored for that. <laughs> that one I'm actually really, really looking forward to. I was actually just talking to my friend Lynette, and Lynette loves that movie too. I don't know if you want to have a guest star on for that episode, but. <laughs> I don't know. Can can she not take it personally if I insult her intelligence? <laughs> <for> like you... <laughs> I think I think that she spent enough time around you and I in order to understand your sense of humor. I think what's going to probably end up happening is that for a majority of the episode, Lynette will chime in here and there, and she'll just, like, nonstop laugh through the rest of it to hear, like, right. hear you endlessly berating my intelligence for, like, 
liking that movie. I do like that movie. I'm sorry. I just do. All right. Like it's, it's I... fucking fun. I know it's a stupid movie. I know it's stupid, but like for me, it works in the same way the kindergarten cop works, dude. You know, like I know it's a dumb movie. Yeah. But... See, I don't think that movie works for me either. So uh, kindergarten yeah. cop. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think any of Arnold's like family, horrible family '90s movie work for me. I fucking hate Twins. That's one that I just will never. Yeah, fucking yeah. Spend. I haven't seen that since like the early '90s. Probably have to watch it again. <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. It's one of the worst, actually. <laughs> So if you don't have anything else, Paul, I, I think that we can wrap this up if you're all good. You don't want to shit on this anymore. Like, look at this shot, dude. Look at this shot. Well composed, well fucking shot, and the whole goddamn movie just, what the fuck happened? <laughs> this movie, you know, when they, talk about, when they talk about the making of this movie, it really is sort of like similar stories to Apocalypse Now. It's just like people yeah. went nuts and decided. And then all the extras were like <laughs> fucking banging each other and like snorting coke. And <laughs> there was that one extra that she played the six-titted pig lady or whatever. And she said that she was yeah. supposed to be there for five weeks. And she was there for seven months. <laughs> it's like, you know, like it's like it's like yeah. the stories of uh, Dennis Hopper when Dennis Hopper came in for Apocalypse Now. He was supposed to be there for three weeks, and he was there for eighteen months on Apocalypse <laughs> Now, like living in a cave and like eating acid like every day, which explains a lot about yeah. Dennis Hopper's later behavior after that. I think movie Apocalypse started. Now it made it because it has strong director who, I mean, he didn't have a whole idea of what he was going to do, especially for the end of the movie but he could see good things where they were happening even though all the craziness and disasters right. on the set all the time <laughs> actors running and he, also, and he also like didn't have a studio like breathing down his neck in order to yeah. like, fucking like make yeah. something that could sell like they knew that he was making a vietnam war movie you know and i i think that that has a lot to do with it too that oh yeah apocalypse yeah, he just basically out. financed it himself didn't he yeah i mean he he yeah. went bankrupt essentially like making that movie <laughs> yeah. and yeah you know what's fucking crazy dude is I, I can't remember what documentary i was watching but i was watching this documentary where they were talking about Hollywood stories and they started interviewing the, uh, oh, it was the Spielberg documentary actually on HBO. And uh, they were talking to the three amigos, you know, like George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg. And, you know, Martin Scorsese is sort of like the fourth amigo, but he didn't like hang out with them as much as the other three hung yeah, out all the other. He didn't go to college either. So, you know. Was, yeah. 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 But anyway, they were talking about Francis Ford Coppola he had had his name on THX 1138, right? And, like, that movie, the financier was, like, so pissed off at what George Lucas did that he just basically, like, buried all of their careers for a while, for, like, two or yeah. three years. And Francis Ford Coppola, he was, like, an out-of-work director. Nobody wanted to hire him. And there was a script that was wandering around Hollywood that had been turned down by every big name in the business. And Steven Spielberg himself had turned it down, and so had uh, Martin Scorsese at least a dozen times a piece. And it was a script that was viewed as being like too tawdry and too graphic and fucked up and blah, 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 blah. And that movie, they basically like gave it to Marlon Brando, and that was the godfather. And like, yeah. if he hadn't had been in that position where literally nobody wanted to touch it and he had nothing to lose, 
how different would the fucking film world have been? Oh, dude? Like yeah. fucking unbelievable. I was just like, I was shocked by that story. I was like, really? Nobody wanted to touch the Godfather. Like, it was 1972. Like, they had already been doing fucked up, like, violent movies before. But, you know, for some reason, nobody wanted to touch The Godfather. No one wanted to get erased by the mob, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you've seen uh, Gamora, right? The the Italian. Yeah. That writer who wrote the book and wrote the screenplay has a permanent Italian police escort because the mob has, like, made threats to his life. They're just always nice. around him. I'm nice. like, oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, at least the Italian, uh, you know, government takes that shit seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, side note have you have you heard of a TV show on Amazon Prime called Zero Zero Zero? No. You should check that out, dude. It's an Amazon original that came out last year, and I don't know how I missed it, but it's about the cocaine dealing world, like the underworld of cocaine dealing, and it's like it takes place in Italy, Mexico, and the United States, and it's like this massive mosaic tv show it's like eight or ten episodes i can't remember but it's fucking fantastic dude like gabriel byrne is in it for a minute and like dame dehan is one of the main characters and he's fucking great in it and the best thing about it is like the mexico storyline about the mexico like cartel and the the way that the special forces of mexico like help the cartel and also fight against them at the same time it's from the guy who produced gamora his name is uh, stefano solano but Stefano is like famous in American audiences because he directed the second Sicario movie. And a lot of like that style of like Sicario and Denny Villanueva is like in the fucking show. And it's like beautifully mm. shot. It's fucking great shit, dude. And it's like legitimately <laughs> tense, but it's tense in that like weird way that like, you know, I don't want to say like no country for old men, but like the way Sicario is tense is that like there's these scenes that aren't edited or shot in a way that they're dynamic, but it's like the performances and the tone of the thing really yeah. gets under your skin. And it's fucking great work, dude. It really is. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet, but it's already probably one of my top 30 TV shows of all time. It's Damn, really uh, 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 I don't mean to build it up or anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, once again, thank you guys for joining us. This is the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. I'm Paul Schendel. You guys have a great night. Thank you.